0: Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. and I'm joined by Doug Battle. Doug, this is your show. It's the NBA playoffs. <laughs> this is where it happens, right? For a couple of years, we've been talking about how, oh, this is going to be the breakthrough of Trey Young or Luka Doncic. Turns out it's the breakthrough of Jimmy Butler
1: or the Joker. Hey, I'm here for it. Uh, Jimmy Butler is one of those guys who, as they say, has that dog in him. There it's going head to head with Grant Williams. I remember him blowing kisses to TJ Warren a couple years back uh, when TJ Warren got ejected and he's just <laughs> kissing at him. And uh man, that guy is one of I mean he's not like skill the skill level of Jordan and Kobe but from a competitive standpoint he's on par like mentality wise i haven't seen that in the nba it seems like everyone's kind of buddy buddy like these guys are all they're all millionaires and they all at the end of the season they're going to go to cancun together and so when, you know when draymond gets beat by lebron he's just smiling and they hug they're all so cordial with each other and i think the nba's missed that hatred that we're seeing and the Boston Celtics-Miami Heat series that we saw way back when with the Detroit Pistons and the the Bulls and the Lakers and the Celtics, kind of the OG rivalry. But Jimmy Butler bringing that back, pointing at Grant Williams after an and-one in Game 3. And I got to say, Mike, I did not see... 230 series coming. And if you had told me that both series were going to be 30, I would have said, "Well, it's definitely the Celtics and the Lakers because yeah. that just makes the most sense." So this has been a, like we talk about March Madness with the 16 seed pulling an upset in the first round. It's been May Madness in the NBA. And I think that basketball fans are excited because it's not predictable. It's not Warriors Cavaliers every year with Steph Curry and LeBron. We're looking at potentially a finals between Jimmy Butler and Nikola Jokic to, from a celebrity standpoint, kind of like B-list celebrities, even their first, second team, all NBA players. But I love to see, I love that there has been parody in the NBA these last few seasons. And I love seeing a team like the Heat, who was the 10 seed going into the playoffs. If there were not a play-in game, they would not be in the playoffs. NBA has been a star-driven league since, especially
0: since Magic and Larry in the late 70s, early 80s. It's probably not going to be a star-driven league in the future. Well, I mean, it's going to be star-driven, but it's always been superstar-driven, where there's yeah. only two, three guys. Right. It doesn't seem like it's going to be that way. Jokic and Butler, they're both real likable. I mean, real likable in like a curmudgeonly way in some ways great work it's like professional wrestling great work on the mic for jimmy butler and great work for Jokic too i mean mean, these
1: guys are these guys are fun to listen to they're different right you mentioned professional wrestling and that's exactly what the whole jimmy butler off the court antics remind me of And it is amazing to me that we haven't seen this from the NBA in quite some time. I I genuinely can't remember the last time I heard a player say anything but positive things about other players in the NBA. And I understand there's an element of sportsmanship. And I know the NBA wants to be represented well and and doesn't want to have a negative association and they want professionals. But at the same time, that hyper-competitive... Well, Doug, or, uh, of a guy like Jimmy Butler, it just draws you in. I am locked in every time the Heat are playing. I want to see it because I want to see what he's going to do next. I want to see what he's going to say. I want to see how the other team's going to respond. And I'll be honest, Mike. I want to see him win a championship. I want to see the eight seed heat win the NBA finals. Oh. The last time an eight seed made the conference championship was the Knicks in 1999. But the, I mean, it, it's unprecedented just about, you know, how dominant they've been as an eight seed in these okay. Eastern Conference finals.
0: Okay, so we got a little I don't know, little Cinderella story here. So, yeah. kind of nice aspect of borrowing from the NCAA tournament. But the thing that you're mentioning that I want to kind of key on because I think it's an interesting observation is does the NBA really have rivalries? I mean, is this where is this how rivalries are built that it's got to get it's got to get personal? Cuz look, yeah. Michael Jordan made he made a lot of things. He made more things personal than we as fans ever knew about. And so, is this the first time we've seen someone take it to a per? I mean, we had what Trey Young and the New York Knicks fans last year. Trey is bald. Or two, years
1: ago, two years two two years ago. ago. Yeah. But, but that that this- was a huge. I mean, that I thought that drew us in. Yeah, <laughs> we weren't. We wouldn't have been talking about that series if every presser was just Trey Young saying how much respect he has for the Knicks fans and Knicks fans. Giving him a standing ovation for scoring forty in Madison Square Garden, despite losing the game, you know that kind of thing. It What the tension there that that made it feel special? And I think, like in college football, like Alabama, Auburn, they hate each other. Ohio State, Michigan, they hate each other. Yeah. You see a little bit less hate in the professional leagues because these guys are grown men; they're mature. Often, oftentimes, not too. But uh, but how much of that? is because the nba is almost adopting
0: like the nfl's philosophy of we got to protect the brand right yeah we can't have people fighting with each other because historically celtic 76ers was a rivalry did mm-hmm. that feel does that feel like a rivalry doesn't feel as much of like a rivalry as frankly whoever jimmy butler's playing right now right mm-hmm.
1: yeah and so I, there's two sides to it like if you're the league part, partially you want to protect the brand but you also you want people to be invested and i think that the kind of the WWE like the wrestling type uh, <laughs> antics with these players with these personalities it's pretty it's pretty engaging it's pretty engaging and so i i, I want to see Jimmy i want to see the Miami Heat do it i've never been a Miami Heat guy I used to be kind of a hater of Eric Spolstra. I didn't think he was a great coach when LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch were playing in Miami. Obviously they lost to the Mavericks uh, in the finals and they lost to the Spurs in the finals and then they won two finals as well. And so I, I felt like he was just getting credit for the talent that he had and was working with and that anybody could have done it. But you look at what that guy's done. This is the same Final four as the bubble season 2019 2020. Uh, and the Miami Heat, both times they've made the Eastern Conference Finals since LeBron played in Miami, were not favored in any of those series. <laughs> they made the NBA Finals in the bubble and, and looks like they're going to do it again. That's the one series, Mike. I just don't see Boston coming back because they look so defeated. And if you saw their head coach's presser, he essentially he was taking all the blame for things, uh, not going into detail on every. He seemed depressed, and that whole team they just seemed totally dejected. That last game they lost two at home, you know, and they go to Miami and get beat by like thirty. They're done. Yeah. The Lakers. I know people that still think L.A. could make history. This could be part of the whole storybook ending for LeBron uh, to be the first team to come back. I'm just going down three zero. It doesn't.
0: I'm not seeing that storybook ending, are you? I mean, do you really think there's hope here? No, I don't. I I think – Out here, though. And this is a small – this is a small point. And this is basically being an NBA fan via Instagram. Jokic's wardrobe choices in terms of wearing a classic suit and some sort of – I know they were comparing it to the Netflix show Peaky Blinders. Mm. That kind of – I don't know what you would call that headgear. (laughs) But that was, it was, that was interesting to me. And I know that there's almost going to be the response of, it's just kind of, it's sort of a different kind of culture than we see in the NBA and sort of a lot of people jumping into it. But I think that's kind of the point that it's interesting that sort of wearing the classic suit and looking like Peaky Blinders is the most counterculture move that you can make in terms of NBA, in terms of NBA fashion. And then just going out there and the shot over Anthony Davis, where, you know, it looked incredibly awkward, but it also looked like it was going in from the moment it left his hand, mm-hmm. was, I mean, so look, we got two amazing storylines going into this. And oh, I think yeah. the thing that's great about it, Doug, is they're both different. Like, I think this is what we've been waiting for. Kind of the junkyard dog, Jimmy Butler. Oh, and yeah. then the european guy that seems like a fish out of water kind of player. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know, if it ends up being those two teams, it's going to it's not going to be as cut and dry for fans as if it were LeBron versus Jimmy Butler. Yeah, if it were this like LA glamour versus the junkyard dog underdog 8 seed, like everybody that's not a laker fan would be pulling for Miami in that instance. Both Denver and Miami are kind of the outsiders like they, they kind of draw those, uh, the fans that would pull for the small market team. Uh, they kind of attract the same fan as far as people who aren't yeah. people who are just looking for a team people like me who don't have a dog in the fight, who are looking for something uh, to pull for. But I, I just think it's good. Bas- it. I think both teams are playing great basketball right now and I'm excited just to see what happens. But it's kind of a great matchup anyways, just because there are some, I agree with you. They're both
0: kind of outsiders, Bashing yeah. down the door, but here is the thing, Miami. Okay, so Doug, I said you are a big NBA fan. So, who are the classic
1: Miami Heat players? I think all time, like Dwayne Wade, is probably okay. the most iconic. Yeah. Uh, even though, I mean, the argument's LeBron's the best player, but okay. Dwayne I'm just saying, Wade had the best. Just reel them off, just see how you. I mean, you got yeah. I mean, Alonzo Mourning, yeah. uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Okay, I now mean- Doug, who are the
0: iconic Denver Nuggets? Are you able to reach down and pull out a Dan Issel? No. No. Okay. And so this is, you know, the the Heat, I'm with you. I don't care. If we can get a Heat Nuggets final, I love each the way it goes. I just hope it kind of goes, kind of, it's a hard fought battle in seven games and trash talking and sort of interesting IG kind of moments. Yeah. But... Part of me's got to work for the Nugget, root for the Nuggets because I mean the Nuggets were the number one seed, right? I believe
1: so. I know they, they have they been in the past, like
0: the, but they will feel like the Cinderella se- story. Yeah, very
1: interesting one because I feel like almost every series I see, people that are would be shocked if they would win. You know, they are a team that in the past has had regular season success and come up short in the playoffs. I think partially due to injury, though. I, Jamal Murray. That guy has been so underrated for so long because he's in the same conference as Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard. And so it's like he's never going to be first or second team in his own conference, even not even the NBA as a whole. And so he gets overlooked. He's played a heck of a series. And I've seen him do it time and time again as far as coming through in the clutch. It is still a guard driven league oftentimes Jokic isn't the one with the ball in his hands with the game on the line. Uh, It's Jamal Murray. and I I don't know that he gets enough credit for what he's done, but man, has he been instrumental to the Nuggets' success these playoffs and is really putting himself on the map in the way that I would have hoped Jason Tatum would in these playoffs. Let me give you some names for the Denver Nuggets. And these are, I just went to
0: basketballreference.com, and these are the top Denver Nuggets in terms of win shares. For Paul has got to be on there. Number one, Dan Issel. Number two, nice. Nikola Jokic. Number three, yeah. Alex English. Are you aware? Uh, Sweet I shooting f- Alex English. <laughs> I am familiar. <laughs> David Thompson. I think they no. called him Skywalker. I think North Carolina State. Something, an amazing vertical jump. Hold on. I got to get the reading glasses for this next one. Byron Beck. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there because I'm not sure if these guys are how these guys are tuned to stats. But you got to root for that franchise in a way, don't you? Oh yeah. yeah,
1: oh yeah. And I just for the longest time I've always felt like it's got to be hard to be a fan in the NBA of one of those teams that is kind of left out. Like they don't really get. You know, you develop a great player and then they go play for the Lakers the first time they become a free agency or they demand a trade and you build through the draft and then they leave in free agency or they demand a trade and you watch these same teams compete over and over over again for the championships. It's hard. It seems like it would be hard to build fandom that way. And that's why like, I really admire, like I admired prior to their championship, I really admired the Toronto Raptors fan base. I nowadays I really admire the Portland Trailblazers fan base. Like some of these fan bases that are just always like, especially if they're in the playoffs, they are locked in and they are fired up, even though it's like everyone kind of knows they're not going to win a championship. This isn't college basketball where anybody can win. It's a seven game series, and the stars people have their theories as to why, but the star, the biggest stars and the biggest teams tend to win those. And teams like Denver just kind of, you know, second place is best they can do. It's kind of like Phoenix. It's kind of like Utah. I mean, there's been so many of those franchises that are just always on the cusp of it. I um, mean, they end up falling to the big star and the, the biggest market teams. And so this year it's like, oh, it's actually going to happen. Like it's highly likely that you know, a team like Denver could win a championship and it's exciting because I don't think just for Denver fans I think it gives hope to those Portland Trailblazers fans and to those I mean Phoenix has a super team so they already had hope but to those Utah Jazz fans and those those types of teams who feel like you know it's wide open anybody can win and we might be one move away now whereas before it might have felt like we got to have three first-team All NBA guys to win a championship. Yeah,
0: we got to talk some star into like falling in love with a golf course in our city. So and then talk No, to we got to talk.
1: You got to have three stars.
0: Yeah, it well, was. I mean, you, for, you got the first guy, and then he's got to bring a friend, and then you got to. Nah, for the I'm last,
1: not. for the last like decade, it seems you've got to have three all-stars on your team, and yeah. maybe two. But if it's two, it's got to be LeBron and Kyrie, or it's you know it's got to be. I don't know. The Warriors have always had at least three, three to four. Maybe it was almost always needed like one
0: first team All-NBA guy, one second team All-NBA guy, and one third team All-NBA guy,
1: right? Yeah, and I think that's like you look at the Cavs with LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love. That's kind of the formula. The Warriors, now it's like Curry, Thompson, and Draymond, but at one point it was Curry, Durant, Thompson, and Draymond. And DeMarcus Cousins. And, I mean, that team was just too stacked. But, I mean, a team like Utah or a team like Denver, it's, it's highly unlikely that they're going to build through the draft and have a team like that over the years. And so, again, I mean, right now, Denver's got Jokic and they've got Murray. But that just that feels attainable. You can draft two. I mean, Jokic was a second-round pick. Um, and it's not like Murray was number one overall either. And they've built from the ground up. That's a homegrown team. That's a fan base that knows those players, loves those players, has followed them from day one. And you love to see a market like that and a franchise like that get their shot. Okay, Doug. So you've talking. You're talking about markets getting their
0: shot, and there's a market that looks like it's going to get another shot. It's one of the stranger markets in the NBA in terms of. The amount of greatness that has gone through there in terms of David Robinson and Tim Duncan and Wemby is going to San Antonio. And he said all the right things, right? Talked about how San Antonio had, the Spurs have been a great market in France for a long time, was eager to go there. You could argue that San Antonio in terms of the economics of that market is one of the and I'm tempted to say one of the worst markets, but let's say one of the most challenging markets mm-hmm. in the NBA. I think you're talking about a metro area of probably about two, two and a half million, probably about two two point two, two point three, relatively low income. It's not like there's a tech sec- tech sector in San Antonio and there's billionaires pumping up the ticket prices. Mm-hmm. It's a heavily Hispanic area. And in general, that's not the that's not the demographic group that's going to follow fandom. When when I occasionally do NBA fan base rankings, the the Spurs, despite their track history, end up being a middle of the road brand. Wow. Yeah. So this generational talent, and again, we can debate on. And I think it's always like you look at this guy and go, "Is this going to be an injury series of yeah. injuries waiting to happen?" A generational talent going to San Antonio.
1: Are you excited about that? I think you are. Next great pick. <laughs> I think it's a match made in heaven. To be fair, I would have been excited had Dallas ended up with the number one pick and paired the Victor Bayama with Luka Doncic. I would have been excited if Portland had gotten that pick and paired him with Damian Lillard. But I think San Antonio is just the perfect fit for the kid. And the reason why is... There's no expectations in San Antonio right now. That's has not been a winning franchise since Tim Duncan retired. Uh, I know they they may have made the playoffs with LaMarcus Aldridge or DeMar-, DeMar DeRozan, but the team can build from the ground up around Victor Wimbayama. Wimbayama can develop. He can take his time. He can be the guy if he's ready for that, but he can also he can come off the bench. like He can develop. Uh, Victor Wimbayama is a smart basketball player and pairing him with Greg Popovich, a guy who of course was instrumental to the development of Tim Duncan and um, many others (laughs) many other Hall of Famers over the years is I think so great for him. I've seen so many young talents never play under a great coach and I truly think that it's part of what separates the greats. You look at Jordan playing under Dean Smith and Phil Jackson, uh, Kobe Bryant under Phil Jackson. Like, and then you look at guys like in the league right now, I think a guy that that comes to mind is Anthony Edwards. Sky's the limit with his potential. Uh, Played under Tom Crean in college, not a great coach. In the NBA, know, he plays with a very undisciplined group. Has been under a coach that has not instilled discipline in his guys, has not seemed to develop His guys on both ends of the floor. And it's like, man, what imagine if he had gone if he had been under Popovich or if he had been under Coach K in college, or if he had no, if he was getting developed by the right guys, Wimbayama, he's got just as high a ceiling and he's already a smart player. He's already disciplined. And then he's going into the system that has been successful at developing players of, in my opinion, with lesser potential than Victor Wimbayama. And so He's got to put on weight. He's got to. He's got to avoid injury. But I think it's a perfect fit. I think that the Spurs are gonna fans are going to have to be patient. I don't think they're like an instant contender by any means. But it's going to be fun to watch that team grow and build over the next few years, just like it has been in Dallas with uh, Luka Doncic, for example.
0: Yeah, I was just looking up as you were talking, looking up a couple of quick facts. The, the San Antonio market is, just as a little bit of a side, is about 50% Hispanic. So yep. it's going to be a challenging basketball market. I, but again, it's got a, an amazing history. So it's an interesting fan base. There might be more appreciation for the Spurs outside of San Antonio than, than within San Antonio. I also looked it up. Wemby is 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's a one and done type player, and and look again, this is just the visual. I'm not going to claim to have seen a lot of game footage of him. He's so thin, right? <laughs> and I think that's the thing that 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 kind of puts those injury or maturity concerns out there. Like I'm, not, yeah. I know everyone's talking about him that this is a generational talent, et cetera, et cetera. I got no idea, right? This is not like a LeBron James situation where we could see this. Now. Where we could well we could see this monster yeah. of an eighteen year old playing on high school. Now we see this kind of rubber band man doing all sorts of kind of freaky things. And we don't know if he's well, I don't know. Who's the best who's the best big man at that height in the history of the game? Right? That seven foot tall plus player, right? I mean, is it a Kareem situation? Kareem. He's seven foot yeah. two.
1: Or is it a Sean Bradley at seven foot six, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand kind of both sides of the argument with Wimbayama. I think the reason people are so excited for him and why Spurs fans should be, should have hope, should have lots of hope, lots of optimism is that you look at a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, very similar frame coming out uh, much shorter, you know, five, five inches shorter or whatnot, but (laughs) little guy, guy. a very similar frame coming into the NBA. And that's why he wasn't a number one pick. That's why he was overlooked was because he's scrawny, you know, he's long and lean. And we've seen guys like that fill out. There seems to be some kind of, I don't know how they do it, uh, but there seems to be a, a development process for those long lean guys to fill out and become monsters because you look at Giannis now and he's a monster he's a if he looked like that in high school it would have been a LeBron James situation where nobody would have had any doubts about him going number one and Wimbayama unlike Giannis is has a full arsenal of basketball he, he makes plays that are Kobe Bryant-esque as far as ball handling and footwork and shots I mean the guy's got Damian Lillard, three-point range. He's seven foot four. You know, he's got the Kobe Bryant turnaround fadeaway. He can take the ball up the court. He can, I mean, he can pass. He's, He's got good court vision. He is a fully developed basketball player. He's got great basketball IQ. And that, and so those are the things that are similar to LeBron. LeBron coming into the league was phenomenal in terms of his court vision, in terms of he could shoot the basketball. Wimbayama, is he going to play center right out the gate? I think he would get absolutely manhandled. But I don't think he's a center. I think he's like a stretch four, maybe a three. He's got such guard skills. He's such a mismatch nightmare that it might be a positionless basketball thing. And that's where I feel like San Antonio is the perfect fit. Because I remember when Boris Diaw came into San Antonio and he was kind of washed up. And Popovich knew how to use his passing ability, even though he was undersized in the inside. And he became this great asset for them. And so you take a guy who maybe doesn't fit into one position like Wimbayama because he's got the height of a center, but he's got some of the skills of a guard. And you don't really want to make him into a guard. You don't want to force him into a center. If you went to some team that tried to put on 100 pounds this year and make him into you know, the guy that's going to back down Joel Embiid or it's going to be defending Joel Embiid in the paint, I don't think that's what you do with him. And I think that's how he gets hurt. And so that's where I feel like it's a match made in heaven Popovich is creative enough to leverage his strengths while he's developing in other areas, such as his physical... This was all fine and good.
0: (laughs) Going through the notion of what he's going to be on the court, right? Like, hey, I'll make a quick observation. I think something's kind of changed in the NBA. It used to have this feel where this top talent came in and everything changed. Now it feels like there's almost a dues paying system where you learn the league and you develop into that star. Okay, but what I was looking up was some metrics related to fandom in the NBA. And I pulled up this win shares for the top 12 players for the Spurs. You want the you want some of the top guys that have gone through San Antonio?
1: This okay, is actually an
0: amazing list. Tim Duncan. Yeah. David Robinson. Yeah. Tony Parker. Yeah. George Gervin. George. Nano Ginobili. James Silas. Kawhi Leonard. Sean Elliott. I mean, in some ways, they're competitive with probably in terms of the star power that's gone through that place with just about everything that isn't sort of starting with Los Angeles or Boston. Right, 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 right. right. (laughs) But despite that, when you pull up, let's say, the social media metrics, they are – In terms of Instagram followers, just because it's a quick and dirty one, 22 million Laker fans on social media for on Instagram for the Lakers. They're at about 4 million. And so they're slightly, I think, 4.5 million, slightly less than the Milwaukee Bucks. So despite having all of this star power, right, they are a... Now, they're actually – blow. one of the other teams we're talking about, Denver. They blow away Denver in terms of that metric. Denver's just got over $2 million. So it's – I guess what it ends up being is like, does it even matter? If Wemby comes in and he is this next guy, he's the next Kobe, Michael, LeBron, mm-hmm. and they win four, five, six championships in San Antonio, does that actually change the league dynamics? Or are we still just – waiting for the Lakers to go on another run. We're hoping the Knicks come up with a formula. that They're actually going to win some games and we're kind of Spurs fans, but we're also willing to forget about them real quick when they hit on hard times.
1: Yeah. And the Spurs, I mean, I think it's hard to say that he can change the game for them when if Tim Duncan's dynasty, because that's the ceiling, you're never going to have a better career. You're never going to have more accomplishment as a team than what we witnessed with Tim Duncan um, you know, in going back to the admiral, we right? You mentioned green David Bay Robinson Packers in the NBA, Doug. Is that the bottom line? Say what? We can't have a green Bay Packers in the NBA. I'm saying they can have that success, but on the court, yeah. but they're not going to be the number one brand or top five brand like the yeah. Packers are. And I, so, and, and it's just hard to imagine that changing because they've already had best case scenario, Victor Wimbayama, his name was Tim Duncan, six rings, I think um, five or six. I don't know. They, they won a lot of championships. They won a lot of championships that it felt like they shouldn't have won uh, well, because. Well, Doug and the other
0: thing when I go through that list of names, what's really remarkable about that is they've almost always had a top five player in the NBA, right? I mean, you go back to George Gervin in the late seventies, yeah, and we just and it just keeps going on and on. Maybe not a top, not always a top five, but always a top, always a marquee name. And so it's a remarkable franchise. I mean, they've drafted very well or just lucked out in terms of some of the draft lotteries, et cetera. (laughs) It's an interesting case study in terms of what can be accomplished in the wrong kind of market.
1: Yeah. And I think that it's good for basketball. And I think I also think that Spurs fan, they might not measure out great as far as numbers. But the people I know from San Antonio, anyone I've met from San Antonio, I always bring up the Spurs. And, man, they it's like they're a family. Like, they really have a unique connection between the community and the team that's unlike – I think because it's so small, it's almost more collegiate-like.
0: Well, um, the only
1: major sports franchise in the city as well, right? So, right, right. Yeah. And so that, that team is – they – bring that city together in ways that the Lakers don't in at Los Angeles where you know, there's also the Clippers and then there's a million other things to do. And San Antonio, that's all they got. And that team has been incredibly successful. So they've earned the loyalty.
0: Like there is the incredibly strange river walk.
1: Well, I mean, it about. looks cool to me. And then when you go down there, you realize it's almost
0: more like a Disney production, right? It's not. Have you ever been down there? No, I haven't
1: made it down to San Antonio. It's
0: very strange. It's I mean it's very cool visually. Like it's like, oh, this is yeah. kinda great. We're along this river. And then you look at it, it's like it's like concrete on the bottom. It's like Disney built the <laughs> river walk. And and like, Doug, they have the Alamo, remember? <laughs> I do remember the Alamo. And We've also got, I mean, Dom just naming things I associate with San Antonio, and we also
1: have that
0: Charles Charos. Barkley likes <laughs> to talk about the women of San Antonio.
1: I thought about it, Mike, and I was you like, know it'd probably be wise not to bring that up. <laughs> so <laughs> someone had to do it and it was you. Yeah, Charles Barkley is infatuated. And hopefully we'll get more prime, you know, TNT games in San Antonio now where we can get Chuck's analysis on the, the scene sure. in San Antonio ongoing Me that that has become so (laughs) looking forward to that as well
0: okay doug so the nba is in an interesting position in terms of going forward a lot of the a lot of the interesting action now in terms of the brands going on are kind of strange places denver we have talked about memphis last week san antonio a lot of hope for the future Mm -hmm. something i wish we talked about more but it's it's come up a little bit in this playoff is this issue of and i think of it as an analytics issue this issue of load management yeah and so with the lakers now struggling i think load management is kind of it's kind of popping back up and especially in terms of the season the lakers had of a not a great record mm-hmm. some heroic performances
1: and now kind of i don't know running out of gas is that the perception i think so and i've actually got some numbers so uh, an Emory student by the name of Jaden is <laughs> interested in sports analytics. And I had him run some numbers to to kind of further research this. And as it turns out, if LeBron and AD, because their record wasn't that good during the season, but had they played the same number of games together as say Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, a young pair in the Eastern conference, Using the Pythagorean win percentage, we expect them to win approximately two and a half more games, which ultimately seed the Lakers much higher because it was such a close Western Conference. They would have been around the four seed if LeBron and AD had played together all season, if if you're just purely looking at numbers. So the question has been, is it more beneficial to give LeBron and AD extra rest during the regular season so that they're 100% in the playoffs? And it appears... That that's the case looking at these playoffs and that it didn't really matter that they were the seven seed because at the end of the day, they were healthy. And if they were going to be healthy, they were going to be the better team than those the teams in those first two rounds. And, and LeBron and, and Anthony Davis's plus minuses have gone up in the playoffs. And so the numbers are favorable there, but on the flip side of that, because I, during the season, I was always saying, no, if the Lakers could just be healthy, they could be anybody. They could win the finals. Uh, And so seeing them healthy in that first round, it was like, oh man, no one's going to be able to stop them. And what I forgot about was that part of the reason they were (laughs) playing so well is because they were better rested. They had less wear and tear on them than the rest of the teams. And unfortunately for the Lakers, there's not a lot of rest in the playoffs. You're playing almost every night, every other night. Um, At best, you're getting two nights rest between games, but you're traveling. And so, you know, I think what we've seen is that the Lakers might be the best team in the NBA coming off of a lot of rest. Mm -hmm. But when you're playing basketball every other night and these long games, highly competitive games, you're playing hard for 48 minutes at least. They run out of gas, and I think that's what we've seen. I think looking at LeBron, I think that game two with LeBron, where he had that air ball dunk, and he had a turn. He missed a layup late in the game. He turned the ball over in the last possession. He pulled up and missed a three, real real late on a crucial possession. It was a bad shot selection. He looked gassed. There was one shot of him walking off the court after that last turnover. He was frustrated with the cameraman, but man, I. I don't know if I've seen him so gassed in his career. I mean, looking at looking at his facial expressions like this guy might be considering retirement because I don't know how much more he can handle the pressure while his body is just that absolutely spent. And so, we'll see. I know like I said before on the podcast, I know people who are saying, you know, he's going to come back and win the next four and it's going to be the, you know it's going to be part of what makes him the GOAT. I looking at things and looking at his age and looking at the trend of like how he was performing In the first round and how he's been performing lately, he's out of gas.
0: Yeah, it's probably like, it's definitely one of these stories where you, uh, where the more nuanced analytics person understands what's gonna happen, right? I mean, so the idea of load management, saving the bodies for the playoffs, but, you know, what's not in those models, right? And things like being 38 or 39 are not going to be, or being injury prone are not likely going to be in those models. And so was it a little bit of, I don't know, fool's goal to do the load management and sort of get here and not have enough at the end? I mean, I suppose you could argue that, well, what this is probably a, this is probably the best case scenario with a roster with that kind of with those kind of aging players.
1: Yeah. And you, you I mean. <laughs> Now, in retrospect, you look at it and you're like, yeah, the Lakers probably should have just sat LeBron and AD those first three games. They're going to go down 0-3 anyway <laughs> and then try to win four straight because that's kind of how they did things. Yeah. I and mean, that's kind of how they played during the season. It's like, oh, we'll lose three, then we'll go win a bunch with our guys. And that's that's kind of been the strategy in the regular season. Of course, it doesn't even, carry over. You almost imagine the scenario. Well, we won't, even, we won't even force them to get on an airplane. We'll just let them stay yeah, home. Just keep them in LA, playing for Bye. the home games. Until there's like an elimination game and send them to Denver. Um, another stat that's kind of telling as far as LeBron running out of gas. He's missed 19 straight three-pointers in the fourth quarter dating back to game two of the first round this year. So that's across three rounds. Uh, LeBron has missed 19 straight three-pointers in the fourth quarter. Longest streak by any player in the last 25 postseasons. He's not afraid to shoot. He's not getting scared. He's not like Ben Simmons where it's, it's getting to his psyche in the sense that he's scared to shoot. Um, and I think some Lakers fans might think he's too confident. Like, he's pulling up at crucial times from deep three. We need guaranteed points. We need a good shot selection. And so uh, that's, a pretty cons- that's pretty telling as far as where his legs are at because, like, having played basketball— I mean, you see it a lot with guys tend to miss free throws later in games. They tend to, I mean, shooting percentages, I imagine, just kind of go down as the game goes on. They, maybe they peak in the second quarter when you're like warmed up and kind of in a rhythm, but he's been gassed. And I mean, this series from three, from deep, he shot three for 19. So that's roughly 15% from three on the series. Again, hasn't been shy about shooting it, but. I think he's totally out of gas. And I think that relying on someone that's his age and and playing him the minutes that the Lakers are, you you can only go so far.
0: Well, and and here's the reality, right? You don't have a choice, right? No. He's going to – this is – it wouldn't surprise me if this is how you start to see the age start to – the cracks start to appear, right? It doesn't appear all at once. You start to see kind of small things. We're playing without enough rest, fatigue in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That maybe these are just kind of the leading indicators of where this is, of where this is going to go. Right? Aging tends to be a may not be a kind of a smooth, continuous process. It may be more of something where it starts to show up in small places and then becomes more pervasive. And again, it's almost become. I mean, Doug, it doesn't it almost feel like you're going to get pushback for speculating that lebron is going is getting old when he is in fact i think he's either the oldest player in the nba or the second oldest player in the nba and he's easily the guy that's playing the most minutes in that age
1: range yeah i mean no doubt and he's you look at the minutes he's playing compared to the guys he's always put up against jordan and kobe bryant I, i think he's performed at a higher level for this age like i've I don't know if I've gone a record saying this, but I personally think that LeBron is like the 35 and up goat, you know, like he has performed. It's been remarkable what he's done at his age and the expectation of him to carry a team like he would when he was 27 is maybe not fair Or when he, you know, is maybe not fair to LeBron. But with that said, I don't think there's any getting around the fact, I mean, the numbers don't lie. The, prof- I mean, our eyeballs are not lying to us when we watch LeBron and say, see that, this man is, in fact, running out of steam at the end of games. And during the season, I was pretty floored by how he was performing when he was playing. And I was thinking to myself, no one's ever done this at this age. And he's he might submit himself as the undisputed goat if he goes and wins a championship or the next two, which, again, first round of these playoffs, people were talking like that was going to happen. That, like, OK, we, we saw it coming. I mean, I've been saying it for the longest time. If you've been listening to the podcast, I feel like this is his last dance. And so you know, having been of that opinion and looking at it, it's like, I think I forgot that in the NBA playoffs, it almost like 90% of the games come down to the last five minutes. Like I, I, as a fan, when I don't have a lot of time, I won't watch the games. I turn them on with five minutes left and I just see, usually it's tied up or it's within five points and somebody goes on a run. Someone makes a big stop. Someone hits a couple threes. And that's really the whole game in those last five minutes. So if LeBron's playing like the best player in the world, for the first three quarters and the game's tied with five minutes left it doesn't really matter if all of a sudden he's you know can't make a three and is missing free throws and is blowing layups and so I think that's what we've seen happen and I think that's why you know my whole prediction about the last dance I think that's what I didn't take into consideration and maybe like statistically if I had seen numbers I don't know what his numbers were like during the season if he was dropping off in the fourth quarter like he has been but if I had taken a look at that or even just kind of a more general common sense kind of thought of like, yes, LeBron's playing at a very high level, but how's that going to translate across a seven game series? Where you playing, you know, you're playing seven games in 14 days and, and some of these games might go into overtime or whatnot. And so I, I don't think there's any getting around the fact that he, he is an older guy and it's costing him late in games and it's costing the Lakers when they're relying on him late in games and the NBA playoffs go on forever. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, okay, <laughs> like it's almost June. <laughs> <laughs> still not even to the finals.
0: And speaking of cultural products that go on forever, I don't, and again, I don't know how much you want to, I don't know how you're going to respond to what I'm about to say, Doug, which is always kind of a fun moment on the podcast. But paying a little bit of, of attention to popular culture because the only movie franchise that I still, make sure that I go see every episode of in the theater has, and I haven't seen it yet, but I know where this is going furious 10 and has come out. Of course now part two of furious 10 is not scheduled until 2025, but it just, but as that, as I see that hit the theaters, I can't help, but, and again, everything sort of comes together. The other movies that I've seen sort of highlighted a lot in the last week or Indiana Jones 5 on Instagram. And they've decided to make a remake of White Men Can't Jump. Right. It's, I think, airing on Hulu. Now, Doug, and it kind of reminds me of thinking about LeBron James and how long LeBron James has been around. And, oh, my God, it's another NBA finals with LeBron James. How many times have we seen that? Looking at these movies that are coming out, and I hate myself for saying this, right? Because I'm a big Fast and Furious guy. Does anyone want any of these?
1: <laughs> I don't know if anyone in America does. I if I learned anything. And um, hold on, despite saying that, I will go see Fast and Furious. Right? <laughs> there you
0: have it. That's... I will go see part Z- one and part two of ten in the theater. I think,
1: I think that's go- the. Yeah. I think that's the problem with the industry right now is that. People like myself will hate on every Star Wars show that comes out or movie, every Marvel movie, every Marvel. I will say the worst things about it, but they don't care because you say, you know what? I went and saw it. I paid for the ticket. I paid seven dollars a month for three months to watch The Mandalorian. Like they'll do it again, and I'll watch it again, and then I'll say, yeah, it's just not what it used to be. And so I think that's part of the magic. But I think that let's smack around the weak link in all this. Was anyone looking for a remake
0: of white men can't jump?
1: Uh, maybe like Mac McClung was, or <laughs> I, I don't know. Did, like, did he get a, Does he get a cameo or something? in this? No, he should have yeah. though. Yeah. That's, I, that stars Jack Harlow. Does that make yeah. it more appealing or less appealing? I think more. I imagine it's his acting debut. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
0: Hey, Doug's making um, one of those faces where he's like, where it's almost like when my dog's trying to puzzle out what I'm saying to it, it's like, <laughs> I can come up with why white men can't jump needed to be remade. I'll get there, but I can't Right? It's not immediate.
1: Yeah. As far, one thing I have learned is that the, like, as far as fast and furious is concerned, those films, those like really like those effects driven films. I know like the transformers is coming out with another movie, which again, again, another one. The- <laughs> it's just like the I most over stimulating movies you will ever watch.
0: Transformers, um, the rise of the beasts, I think. So now half the Transformers are going to be animals instead of semi trucks.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all ridiculous. And uh, like I said, wh- one thing I learned in school was that those movies actually did really well abroad. Like, you know, in some of these films were in the US, we're like, why are they doing this? Like, nobody wants this. We think we're all that's out there or we think that we entirely drive the market. And there are films that gross more in the box office in China than they do in the US. And so as far as considerations from studios, that's that comes into play. And so and there are movies that are released that are more driven toward a different audience that gravitates toward those real effects-driven films or you know, stuff that we're kind of weary of here. And so I, that that's like one factor. But like I said, I do think a big part of it is there's that built in audience like Indiana Jones. I know a lot of people that are going to go that I think are not going to like it based on what I've heard about that film, but they're going to go see it. And it's like, well, if we can sell, if you're a business and it's like, if you knew for a fact that if you opened a pizza parlor that, you know, it was going to have as many one time customers Enough one time customers to make you rich for the rest of your life, even just from buying one pizza. Even if they hate the pizza, like you might open that business and then shut it down. And, and I think that's basically what they do with these films. And it's not art and it feels like a cash grab. And like I, I mentioned, Indiana Jones, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who's been very involved with the Star Wars sequel and, and c- the direction they've gone with that, she's also responsible for that one. And so, you know, I'm kind of expecting more of the same. And I think that's just kind of what Disney is now. And I think that, and you look at Fast and Furious, they're probably more true to what it originally was. It's <laughs> just dragging it out and milking because oh. they know people that, that went and saw the first eight are likely to go see the ninth one or go see the 10th one. I mean, that's a, but Fast and Furious is
0: a bizarre property, right? Where they started out as this almost kind of gritty street racing kind of franchise. <laughs> it and was about, like
1: Need for Speed.
0: Right, but at about five or six... And definitely by seven, it essentially became a Marvel movie, right? Where cars were starting to fly between between buildings and the I mean, arrow every, in
1: space on the last one. Every time I'm in theaters, first off, every time I'm in theaters, there's a trailer for a Fast and Furious. Like any time I've been to theaters in the last 10 years, there's been a Fast and Furious movie that's about to come out because um, there's always one. On the brink of coming out and every but every time it's like the whole trailer is basically one long action sequence like it's one stunt basically and it's kind of like the whole mission impossible thing where you're like they built a movie around a stunt <laughs> like they started with the stunts and they were like wouldn't it be cool if we drove oh, an 18 wheeler off a bridge and then had this other car that strategically sped up so that it could hit it in midair and crash it into this other car that's on another road, you know, that's several stories down. It it almost feels like they build the story around events like, well, what would cause us to be in that situation? And then they start building the story out so that they can do their stunts. (laughs) That's how it feels (laughs) to me. But I think it's no different. Like I remember as a kid going to Disney World and all I wanted to do was see the little stunt show that they do with the car drivers where they have the, it look like the cars going backwards but the, it's actually just the drivers facing the back and so they can do they can drive backwards like in crazy ways and stuff and it's like they basically have an audience of people like they're there to see, it's a spectacle it's more of a spectacle than a story but i do
0: think I'll, let's just an observation that i think we're at a unique and frankly strange point in the culture though
1: oh well, yeah where there is no, <laughs> we've been there
0: where there's no new intellectual property being developed right i mean the closest thing you have is now if a video game the video game companies might be the main drivers of new ip right you can imagine a grand theft auto movie franchise going out yeah, there but in, is in grand Come theft new auto new ip like that's been around since right. i was a kid but i'm just saying in terms of indiana jones since the 80s star wars since the 70s if you pull like you're mentioning when you pull box office Re- box office results for the past couple of years, it's shocking how everything is a sequel, a remake,
1: I mean, part last of year Top universe. Gun was the big one. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So it's, but it, I guess what I'm saying is it's like our best bet for a new character is gonna come from, and it's not the movies, but, you know, The Witcher, right? Now The Witcher yeah. came from books, but it then had a lot of success in the video game space and then became the Netflix property. It's a fascinating time, right? And it doesn't seem like it can be sustainable that the studios now are sort of no longer trying to build their new, they're not trying to build new characters, frankly, they're not trying to build new brands. They're just trying to sort of, milk what is milk what is there and adapt to a changing audience into a changing sense of cultural sensibilities
1: yeah it's interesting
0: can't last forever i hope yeah it and i'll
1: pick oh yeah i'll piggyback on that with you know we talked last week about kind of jokingly like is there a sports illustrated swimsuit edition for every demographic because it seems like that's kind of how they're doing <laughs> yeah. things but you mentioned like tailoring it for i don't know today's sensibilities or whatnot. I mean, one thing I've seen is this whole multiverse idea, and you see this with superheroes, where Mm. there's presently like three or four different Batman actors that have like projects in development or that are, you know, Michael Keaton, Robert Pattinson, and Ben Affleck, you know, pretty recently finished up his. And Christian Bales really isn't that far removed. Maybe a decade ago. um, Spider-Man last year, we saw all three Spider-Man in one movie. And of course the Spider-Man animation and there's the video games, which kind of have a different version of Peter Parker. And now there's going to be a sequel to the video games and they're coming out with a sequel to the animated version that has like a hundred different Spider-Man, you know, Peter Parker and Sp- fat Spider-Man fight P- fat Peter Parker, like washed up Peter Parker, like black Spider-Man, white Spider-Man, like every Spider-Woman, like every Spider-Man you can imagine. And almost feels like they're, You take something successful like Spider-Man and you just say, okay, well, how can we milk this for every different audience? Mm -hmm. And like, we're going to make one for Doug, but we're going to make one for Doug's parents and we're going to make one for Doug's future kids. (laughs) That's kind of what's going on too with Batman, for example, with Michael Keaton and Robert Pattinson and et cetera.
0: In a way, what it is, is you take that successful brand and you create a brand extension
1: for every different audience, right? And stars has done that. Right, Star Wars has done that with children's shows.
0: And I have to think that at the end of the day, what happens is that we're in a period where I think a lot of folks are going to try and forget what's happened. Right. And we've seen that with some of Star Wars, right, where it's almost like we want to ignore certain products. Yeah. Right. We want to sort of kind of always reference back to the first couple of movies in the 70s. And, like, I think we're probably going to see the same kind of thing in The Lord of the Rings, that this the Amazon stuff will be kind of pushed aside. We'll say, well, that was kind of more like fan fiction and that didn't, really, it is. that didn't really count. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I wouldn't be shocked to see more franchises going with that to continue to milk the existing IPs that are successful. Because from an investment standpoint, if you're a studio and you've got some new idea that might be the next Star Wars but it also is more likely to lose you money, or you have Star Wars, which might earn you 75% of what the original did. You're going to just go without. And so I, I think those built in audiences are just a safe bet. And I think yeah. that's or, where the money's being made, and that's where the investment's being made. I
0: think it's worse than that in a way, right? It's like, let's say you had the idea for the next Star Wars, right? And right. who knows what it is, right? It's in any genre. I don't even think you could break through the clutter at this point.
1: Do you right? think there is a next Star Wars? Well, whatever in the sense you want of, do, you think there will be a cultural phenomenon that's that unifying or that like? I think we had Harry Potter and start like we had the next Star Wars. We had Lord of the Rings. We had so many of them, but it's been so long, and now it's just been remakes for so long or different spinoffs of those couple of properties. It's like, are we ever going to have a new? We're going to have a new Cinderella. Like are we ever going to have a new classic <laughs> or is it just going to be spinoffs forever just, of the old stuff? We're not, in an, we're not in an
0: equilibrium at this point, right? Where, cause I don't even think it'd be possible, right? It's like yeah. to launch one of these new things. It's almost like there isn't enough oxygen in the room. There's not enough oxygen in the theater for something new to really exist. Right. All the mind space, all the theater, the physical space and the mental space is kind of taken up. Right. I mean, you're kind of on this very narrow path, right? So you would have to talk a studio into creating the product, right? Mm-hmm. Into creating the new IP. You would have to get them to see the promise in it to invest a ton of money into that. Now, and again, I think there's also this other little trick that we always want to end up tiptoeing around, right? That for the major studio with those resources to do it, they would probably also start to intervene in terms of the script. And the characters, and it would have to have like, like, as we were saying in this in quotes, modern sensibilities. And so, at the moment, I think it's probably practically impossible to actually execute that, to create something new, compelling, because the the financial and sort of the business realities, combine with the political realities.
1: Yeah,
0: and hopefully, in a few years, things will switch back to something where we can have. Where we can see IP new IP coming out that we actually find compelling and interesting.
1: Yeah, I think there's like I think a guy like Christopher Nolan has a if you look at his career, he kind of earned himself free reign to do what he wants. And, and he started making World War II movies because he's from the generation that's obsessed with that. Uh, but also movies like Tenet that probably if a younger director had pitched or tried to direct it, they, they likely wouldn't have because it's such a unique concept and not really universal um, wouldn't have been adopted or, or funded rather uh, by the studio so I think a director like that if they had ideas for something along the lines of like a saga like Star Wars I think he could pull it off or even like of the younger guys like Damien Chazelle um, of course who had a lot of success early with Whiplash and La La Land and First Man. Um, of course Babylon busted pretty recently, but I don't know. I think there's a handful. Like if Steven Spielberg wanted to put together some kind of space saga, like something that, some kind of epic, I guess that was a new story. I think he could probably pull it off. But you're not seeing like George Lucas was a young guy. He was an up and comer that you know had basically one kind of semi indie film that was that did well. And from there on, he was doing star Wars and Indiana Jones. So, so I don't you think know. you're seeing studio in those types of projects. I'm typing in
0: Steven Spielberg to see his age.
1: <laughs> I'm not saying I think he's going to do it. I'm just saying the only people I think you can are guys like that. Yeah. Narrow path. Yeah. Okay yeah. guys,
0: so let's, let's wrap it up for here. Online home is www.fandomanalytics starting to populate that with a lot of findings from the next generation fandom survey, a lot of interesting stuff. At this point, just sort of scratching the surface. So that, and I think some of that stuff does better reading about it on the web than talking about it on the podcast, but definitely dig into that. I think we have a publication dates set up for the NFL fan base rankings, and that's going to come out just at the beginning of June. Thanks for listening. We'll talk next week.